Hi guys, I am so excited for you to meet my next guest. It is world-renowned fashion designer, Jenny Packham. She has dressed some of the most famous faces, Oprah, Kate Hudson, Miley Cyrus. I mean, the names go on and on. She is going to give us a tip that will make any woman look fabulous in their dress. Also, she's going to tell a secret that her mom told her that will make you feel better in one minute. Stay tuned, she's coming up right now. I'm so excited to talk about your new book that has come out, How to Make a Dress by Jenny Packham. So everybody's got to check that out. You can find it actually on Jenny's website or you can go to Amazon. So it's out, it's for sale. Um, It's a great read and I actually read it and uh, got a lot of very cool, I love your stories and your inspirational stories. But we're going to talk about some of that because I want to just kind of give a little bit of a background about um, if people are familiar with you and love your dresses and maybe there's new people that want to explore what you're doing and um, and also just purchase your book, you know. So um, let's jump into it. I just wanted to find out a little bit more background. I know you talk in your book a little bit about this, but for my audience to understand, you're growing up. So you grew up in London, right? No, I grew up in Southampton, which is in the south of the UK. And then I came to London when I was about 18 to study at um, St. Martin's. And I've been here ever since. Wow. So growing up for you, Jenny, was it more of, um, were you always inspired by fashion? And was that always kind of on your mind? Well, I was very lucky. Um, Both of my uh, grandmothers were, uh, one was a needlewoman. She was very sort of creative, used to do a lot of embroidery. The other one was actually uh, a dressmaker for the community. Um, And my mum would make her own dresses. So generally all the women in my life, every time I went to see them, they'd all be making something. So I think it just followed that as soon as I could, I I would. Um, So I think I started making my own clothes when I was about nine or 10. um, And I loved uh, drawing and art and everything. It was a very creative household. So when I got to about 11, I discovered there was a job called a dress designer. Couldn't believe it. And um, that's it for me. I just more or less started drawing you know, little sketches that night. And it's, I'm very lucky. I feel very privileged to have found something that I love so much so early on. That's amazing. So did your mom actually sit down with you, Jenny? And she was like, let me show you how to make this. And let me show you how to put a, you know, a pattern together, how to put together different looks and that type of thing. And sewing, did she teach you? No, no, I I think really, I, because like I say, I was around, um, you know, people that were being creative. Um, I just kind of picked it up and watched them. It wasn't really till I got to college that I learned how to, you know, really sort of, you know, do it beautifully or to sort of, I learned all about all the different seams and all the different fabrics. Um, I think with my mom, it was just more of a passion and more about sort of, you know, making something that we wanted to wear. So did she make your your clothing for school, like your dresses or different clothes? Yeah, yeah. And I, I write about this in my book because my mom, she just made things and sometimes they didn't fit me very well um (laughs) and um there was uh i think the last thing i wore that i was sort of happy wearing that she'd made was a a jumpsuit and uh it was corduroy and i did a i did a headstand a handstand at the bus stop and the crutch split and (laughs) that was it because the crutch was too low 
And oh. I, I said, that's it, I'm not wearing your clothes anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, and by then I started making my own. And I think also, you know, at that time, um, you know, it was, it was much, you could, you could make much better things than you could actually buy. Now I think, you know, it's very reasonable to buy things for, you know, young people and they can buy the most amazing stuff. But then there wasn't so much actually. So making something was really important. And, you know, it was very, I think as I got into sort of teenage years, you know, it was all about that identity and making sure that nobody else had what you were wearing. Oh, right, right. What was your style like when you were young, Jenny? Like just to give people an idea, because, you know, when we're young, we have go through so many different phases of fashion. I know you talk about this a little bit in the book, but just to give a little background. Yeah, my brother, he's, he's four years older than me and he was, uh, he started to be a sort of punk rocker and um, I thought that was fabulous. So I tried that, but I didn't particularly like that. I, it was too sort of rough and ready for me. So then I became a mod, which was in the sort of second revival of mods. Um, and that was brilliant because I got to sort of travel uh, all over the area looking for sort of vintage, vintage clothing to wear. So I, it was very important to me to try and find sort of original things from the 60s. And that's when I really got into sort of, you know, looking at older clothes and getting inspiration from them, I suppose. Wow. And so that's what you would do is go vintage shopping and kind of finding cool things and putting them together. Yeah. So you weren't as much going into the stores and shopping and that type of stuff as a kid, oh, as yeah. a teenager. Oh, yeah. I love shopping. Yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I would do the high street. But um, I think when I, I went into that stage, you know, it was about making it yourself or, you know, going out and sort of seeing what you could find and put together. Was, I, I don't know. I think it's a very sort of... You know, it's a great part of your life when you're really sort of discovering, you know, through fashion who you are, really. Right. And then as you evolved, what after the mod kind of vibe, then where did you kind of go into after that? What was your... Well, when I got to London, so I was 18 when I came to St. Martin's, that's when I just went into black. (laughs) I went into my my black years. Well, it was the 80s. And, you know, black's great for students because you can spill drinks all over it and you can go into the evening and... Just change up your lipstick. So, yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I don't think I've, you know, I've always sort of loved wearing black. I, I find it sort of such a versatile and kind of stylish sort of color to wear. So you still, you still I've got a uh, lot of black, yeah. I, yeah. Feel, I feel safe in black. I feel sort of uh, like I can kind of, um, I can, you know, it's, it's very adaptable to whatever you're doing. And I think it shows off accessories brilliantly. Um, so, yeah, so I kind of stayed that way. But I, I do mix in quite a lot of sort of, you know, colors now as well. But there's always a bit of black there. It's interesting because when I just look at your, at your recent collection, it's so colorful. It's so beautiful and the colors yeah. are just stunning. Sometimes I feel like when I wear like just a black suit, I've got, and I accessorize with a bow tie, which obviously I'm wearing, but mm-hmm. I, you know, pop it with color. Um, sometimes I feel like it's just an easy palette to work with, but looking at your collection, it's so fun to see all of the color and the feather that you do I, or I detail. I absolutely love designing in color. I mean, we, we actually, as a brand, don't really sell much black at all. Um, you know, our customers are really looking for sort of standout, beautiful colors. Um, so I don't know, again, I find wearing black keeps me quite neutral when I'm working. Um, and as I sort of 
I'm sort of as a designer, I don't really design for myself. I design very much right. for other women. So therefore, I don't know, I find working in black quite a nice sort of base color because of all the textures and beadwork and everything else I, I do really. Um, right, right. But yeah, I mean, I absolutely love designing in color. And I think it's one of the first things with an evening dress that, you know, whenever I meet women and they've got somewhere to go, the first thing that kind comes into their mind you know, when I ask them what they want is they know the color they want, you know, because mm. I think it reflects very much your mood and where you're going and, you know. Right. It can be such a dramatic statement. Just getting back to when you started to design, I was just thinking about when you got into school. So did you have that initiative that you were thinking, I'm going to design evening, like that's going to be my niche, really, or I'm going to do really couture, you know, evening kind of pieces? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I always, from the very beginning, when I first started designing, I always wanted to do things for special occasions. And I, I think for me, it was a way of getting noticed, um, getting my work noticed as well. I could put so much more into it. Um, and I love the idea that it's, I'm, I'm designing something that someone's going to wear on an important occasion in their life. Um, and if it's a wedding dress, you know, you almost become part of their life. You know, it's, it's what they always remember. Um, and maybe they keep that dress and they pass it down. For me, I, I'm not a big fan of designing fast fashion or ordinary clothes. Um, I always want to create the whole garment and I want it to mean something and be very special to someone. Uh, and that allows me as a designer a lot more scope for sort of embroidery or color and, you know, and, and silhouette. Yeah. I mean, just for an example, like for a beaded dress, how many hours does it take to do a very detailed, whether it be a wedding dress or whether it be just a, a ready to wear piece? The actual from making. From beginning to end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, if it was a sort of fully sequined, um, sort of, you know, slim dress, um, you know, that absolutely everything is hand, hand embroidered. So if it was one person beading that dress, it could take a month. But generally, um, with the ateliers that we work with, um, they will have sort of four or five people working on that one style at any one time. Um, otherwise, we'd, we'd never get all the dresses made. Uh, but, you know, when I, when I go to the factories, which I do, well, I, I used to before, you know, we couldn't for the last year, mm -hmm. which has been the most frustrating thing. Um, and we work with um, wonderful places in India. Uh, and when I go in, it always makes me stop for a moment when I see someone put a sequin on, you know, with a needle. Um, and I think sometimes don't, people don't realize how much work goes into those pieces and how sort of covetable they are, really. Because uh, yeah. it's it's a lot of work, and they're they're so you know they're so clever, and the sort of mixture of sort of components, um, you know, is uh, I don't know if you know, but you know, obviously when we design one of the dresses, we design the surface you know pattern, and then when it goes to the factory, they have to turn that into a pattern where, you know, they follow every single line with the bead. Um, it's incredibly intensive. Wow. Yeah, I think so many people look at the price tags of these dresses and they don't always understand how much work goes into it. Yeah. Because there are companies that make beaded dresses that are made machine-made and they're not handmade, which is very different 
time-wise, you know. Um, so it takes, so wow. So it can take up to a month, but with four people, it's a shorter period of time yeah. working on a dress. Yeah. yeah. And then you also, I notice you're doing accessories. You got into accessories as well? Well, we, we've actually, um, we've done jewelry over the years in different ways. And at the moment we have a collaboration in uh, America with a company called Hausberg, and they've just launched the first designer lab-grown diamond um, fine jewelry collection, mostly engagement rings and wedding rings, uh, which is, yeah, it's flying at the moment. I think there's a lot of interest in lab grown because you get this sort of, uh, you know, much bigger, sparklier ring. Uh, and it's, it's incredibly good value. We also do an, another range in the UK as well for the uh, engagement rings. So it's out there, people can go shop it yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, what advice would you have for like, you know, an aspiring designer? You know, there's so many talented people and you're so talented, obviously, at what you do. But like somebody that is going to fashion school or maybe finish fashion school, what would be the advice to really make a difference and make your statement? It sounds like you made that niche and doing something, you know, evening or something couture or something very detailed. What would you give advice, you know, to, to a up and coming designer? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think for us being a niche evening wear, you know, company has always been the thing that's helped us survive for, you know, 33 years. Um, I mean, it's, it's a business. So therefore I would have to say to a, you know, a young designer, you know, look for a gap in the market, look for where, you know, you're going to be able to offer something that is sort of better than what's there already or add something to it. I mean, obviously we're seeing a lot of designers coming through at the moment working more with sort of um, recycled and sustainable fabrics, et cetera. And and of course that is a new market, Um, but which we're all, you know, we're all sort of doing our most to uh, be part of. But I think being, being niche and working very hard at that particular area and don't be worried about being niche because I, I think for us, you know, first of all, when we started designing our first couple of collections, um, we were able, because, you know, this wasn't so much evening wear, in, you know, at that time, uh, we were able to sell internationally. I mean, we were selling to all the American stores within a sort of couple of years, really. So it's all about how you present yourself and, you know, not also... Don't be afraid to try and ring people or to go and see them. I know it sounds terribly old-fashioned nowadays, but, you know, I think to make proper connections with the people and actually somehow get those clothes in front of them so that they can see. Um, And I suppose, yeah, I mean, I used to go around to department stores, stand there, try the dresses on, twirl, show them. (laughs) You know, it was obviously very different, but... You know, I made connections at that stage that I still have now. I mean, for instance, going to Harrods, you know, kind of getting an appointment there. And, and, you know, we've been in there now sort of for 30 years. So I think um, there's always a way for talent to come through. I really believe that. So I think you've just really, I think in fashion, you've really got to believe in yourself and don't give up. You know, it's a very sort of, you know, some people are going to like what you do and some people aren't, but... If you can get, I mean, I think the wonderful thing is now that a designer can get straight to the customer very quickly right. through, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, the internet. But and also get that feedback. I mean, with Instagram, you know, we put up a new wedding dress, and in a way, you're testing the market, you know, mm-hmm. to see what people like and what they don't like, which I think is something 
that, you know, when I started my business, that took much longer. You know, we'd have to deliver the dresses to the shops, see what they bought. But now you can get that instant feedback, which must help a lot of designers sort of get their collections, you know, kind of right quicker, really. But I think it's a very exciting time for young people because I think there's so much opportunity to market what you do. But at the same time, I think there are challenges in that it kind of feels quite overwhelming that there's so many people doing things. And I think I would have been intimidated by that when I was young. Yeah, because it's it's challenging when somebody gets into it and to see, um, you know, what would be the best way to do it. Do you, is your business pretty much like half direct-to-consumer, half department store or retail, or is it mostly retail? Well, it's, that- I think it's changed a lot over the last year. I mean, I think like most fashion companies, we've all speeded up, you know, with our sort of online offer. Um, I very much enjoy sort of, you know, we sell Net-A-Porter and, um, you know, all the, quite a lot of the online sort of platforms now. And it seems to be working alongside the retail as well. I think, um, you know, say, for example, with, um, you know, Neiman's or with Harrods, you know, when we look at the sales, they seem quite even with sort of shop sales and online sales. So I think it's all about offering what you do to a much bigger audience, really. I think what we're seeing now is doing more exclusivity with certain online stores. I think the fact that, you know, you can get anything from anyone and this is evening wear and people don't want to be wearing, you know, the same thing as someone else at the event. So I think we have to sort of start doing sort of exclusive kind of um, capsule collections for different platforms so that we're offering a bit more, you know, kind of uh, exclusivity, which is how we built our business with the the retail shops anyway. Right. People want something different that they couldn't find somewhere else or Mm. was an exclusive only piece on Net-A-Porter or, yeah, something like that. Do you find that, um, I mean, you've dressed so many celebrities. Sandra Bullock, I read in your book, was one of your first that you dressed. Do you find that... Did that help sales for your brand, have dressing celebrities? Yes, of course. I mean, when we came to um, show in New York, um, our sort of first season here, we'd been showing in London maybe for sort of eight or nine years, and we decided that we really wanted to sort of get into the American market, and we felt that sort of um, showing you know, our collections in New York Fashion Week was really going to sort of put us a bit more on the map here. So I think once we started showing here, then we were able to work more with the sort of, um, you know, the, the, the stylist in LA. And I think for us, it's about just sort of having a brand that isn't a sort of aspiring brand. And also, you know, when you dress celebrities, I think and they look good, hopefully, then, you know, somebody goes into the shop and they, they think about it whilst they're looking around. I don't think it, our clothes are the sort of clothes that someone sees someone wearing it and they think, I must have that. You know, I think our customers are very discerning and they, they don't really want what other people have. But if they see someone mm. wearing your brand and it's worked, I think then they're more sort of um, tempted to sort of try it, I suppose. Right. Who have been some of your favorite celebrities to dress? Oh, I've been so lucky, actually. I, I've dressed so many of the sort of people I, I, I sort of love. Um, I suppose, uh, well, like we said, Sandra Bullock, I, I think um, Halle Berry, um, Kate Winslet, as I write about in the book. We've dressed her quite a lot of times now, uh, and I'm a big 
big, big fan of hers. And then we dress some of the sort of, I like it when we dress someone before they come to be sort of a much bigger actress. We did, um, we've dressed sort of Florence Pugh, um, and now she's, you know, she's turning into a big oh, yeah. star, really. Oh, and yeah. I think we dressed the Dakota Fanning and Elle Fanning when they were sort of very young. And then, of course, we dressed people like Helen Mirren, Oprah Winfrey, um, Adele. So, you know, there's a lot of diversity um, with age and kind of what people do. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's great. And I, I think it's all, I always feel very, very lucky when we dress someone because you never know whether they're going to wear it until, you know, and sometimes a lot of these dresses, you know, you do a lot of work and you have to sort of understand that, you know, they're going to have two or three, four choices. Sure. And, you know, you're very lucky if they wear one. And also, I think to start with, I used to be quite upset when they didn't wear it. But now you just yeah. think, well, you know, they're going to appreciate that I did, I did make that. So right, it right. usually sort of works out that in the end, you know, they sort of, uh, they wear something. Yeah, I know you mentioned too before Miley Cyrus, you like dressing her. Oh, yeah, well, we, <laughs> we dressed her for the Oscars. Um, I can't remember what year it was, but it was before she uh, before she kind of evolved. <laughs> ah. When she, you know, we was, I think she sort of, I'm a big fan of Miley. I think it's very brave to sort of have one identity in the public eye and then really sort of change it. And I think mm -hmm. she became sort of very sort of interesting. And I'd love to... I mean, I, I, there's a possibility we're working with her again soon, but um, yeah, I'd love to dress her again. Yeah, that's great. Cause she's got a very funky, edgy, young vibe and you're, I feel like your brand kind of goes across all age groups, really. It's very, yeah, and Miley's it's flattering. All, she's all heart, isn't she really? You know, yeah. so she's quite impressive, yeah. but um, yeah. I mean, I think within a collection, um, you know, whether it's the celebrities or, our, you know, our customer base, mm -hmm. you know, within those sort of 30 pieces, you have to offer, you know, so much, you know, you have mm -hmm. to offer, you know, dresses with sleeves and, you know, I don't know, we have different, so many different sort of uh, parts of the world, the Middle East, China oh, is yeah. a big market for us, Japan. So you've got to think about all the different women that you're dressing and where they're going to, really. That's, mm -hmm. that's the most important thing. Anne-Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. because you dress a lot of influential people and celebrities and all of that, what are some of your a style secret that has been so helpful? Because, you know, people obviously now with Spanx, that's become the number one thing when a woman buys a dress. She's like, I need my Spanx. I need this. I need, you know, certain things. What has been kind of for my audience to know, like, God, you know, I'm going to use that, that little tip or trick that always makes you look great in one of your dresses? Well, I think more than anything, most of the women that I've worked with, you know, they really want the dress to be as tight as possible. Um, uh, <laughs> so, tighter, and you tighter. know, you have to, you do, but you have to be quite careful with that. You know, you can't go too tight or else, you know, the zip breaks. Right. Um, but I think, you know, to really sort of think about the, the silhouette, I mean, one of the tricks that actually Kate Winslet 
um, showed us is, you know, for a lot of women, the problem is when they can't wear a bra with a dress. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you do want to wear, a, you know, the dress quite tight as well, you know, you, you don't want to see all the lines. So um, you, you actually, one of the tricks was to get a quite a wide ribbon and attach mm -hmm. it to the armhole. And then you cross it like a bra would underneath your bust oh. and then fix it into the center and in the, the mm -hmm. sort of seam that comes under the bust. And this will kind of push you forward a bit and, and, and keep you kind of all in place. And it's such a, a simple thing. Um, so I love working directly with the celebrities because these yeah. are the kind of little things you find out because they're such professionals at what they do and sure. they know how they look at, you know, how they look. They know how they're going to be, their image is going to be portrayed. Yes, yes. Is the ribbon on the outside or the inside that you build it in? Oh, in, in, in the inside, inside of the dress. Inside the dress. So stitching oh. it on the inside of the, the seams and crossing it under. Oh, that's so interesting. So you build it in when you're sewing it. Oh, that's so well, cool. Well, it's, it's just an instant push-up. And then obviously you, right, can, right. you can tighten it to, to sort sure. of where you need it. Oh, that's a good trick. <laughs> I like that. Um, people always love to know fun stories about when you were dressing somebody. Or was there any instance or um, that was just kind of a, a really like, wow, I can't believe that happened moment? Um, I've, I've been very lucky to work with um, Dieter von Thies, actually, who I absolutely mm. adore. And um, we've done quite a few sort of the costumes with her. So for me, it's been so nice kind of working. Um, I mean, when you've been designing for 33 years, you're always looking for new challenges. And um, mm -hmm. for me, designing things that kind of have to come off other than sort of mm -hmm. stay on. Um, so, oh, right. <laughs> Things have to come off easily. Yeah, with so her, like right. you're saying, you know, talking about different techniques that you can use. I mean, it's, it's quite interesting working with her because, you know, you have to work with how she's going to move and how she's going to take things off without kind of any, you know, so everything looks effortless. So um, I don't know. I, th I think, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we made something for her recently and the, the tool that we used was a bit sticky. Um, and uh, she got, she had a big sort of uh, cake behind her made out of um, like a big birthday cake. And uh -huh. she was telling us the other day how she kept getting stuck to it, which wasn't good. <laughs> she got stuck to the cake. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get stuck to the cake. No, um, no, no. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I've, I've, like I say, I've had so many sort of uh, good experiences with people. I, I think for me, it's very difficult trying to make dresses for people in LA when I can't get to see them, you know, I mean, often oh, yeah. you have the stylist, you get sent the measurements and you're, you're making your studio and you, you send it over. But there's, I think when you actually meet someone, you know, any, any customer really, and you get to sort of see their body and sort of try things on them, I think, especially for the pattern cutters, they understand so much more. It's, it's very different doing it blind, difficult doing it blind. Oh, yeah. You know, you talk about your inspirations in the books and, um, and I read about how you go to vintage stores. It sounds like you did when you were younger, same kind of thing. Is that where you get your current inspirations for different things? Do you look at, is that your biggest uh, place that you go to is vintage? Um, sometimes. Um, I, I think I, I think actually there's something in the process of actually just going out and looking around vintage shops. It just sort of triggers off different things. And I also, 
I quite appreciate the fact that, you know, I'm looking at what other designers have made over the years and there's something inspiring about that. You know, I hope one day that people see my dresses in vintage shops and, you know, mm. I can inspire people. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, maybe sometimes it's just a color or sometimes we buy something because it's got an amazing sleeve or, you know, there's a, a really wonderful print on it. I mean, I think you have to be really careful not to sort of take anything from vintage, particularly literally, you know. I mean, first of all, I think it's your job to recreate these ideas um, rather than take them. But I think, sure, you know, I think you have to be careful. Somehow you have to bring it up to sort of, you know, a contemporary kind of uh, level so that, you know, you're not sort of creating something that looks vintage. But I don't know. I think it's just being inspired by what, you know, other people's work, I suppose. Um, and I always find it sort of, kind of, I, I, say in, I say in my book, actually, you're kind of, it's always a little, I call it scavenging. You know, when you're starting mm -hmm. to put a collection together, you're starting to sort of um, find the different bits that you want, the colors, the embroideries, the, the look that you want. And I think when you go out looking in vintage shops, there's, you know, you're kind of just pulling on those ideas and putting together something yourself that can, you know, sort of ignite other people's imagination, I suppose. Can you get an inspiration that's not from clothes, like from jewelry, that you could tr take that idea and put it into clothing? Well, jewelry is always wonderful for, you know, embroidery details, um, mm. you know, vintage necklaces, or, you know, maybe it's just the layout or, or something, or quite often a piece of jewelry. Um, there's a piece that I found in Paris. It's actually in the, uh, a museum there. And it's this beautiful brooch that was like a sort of uh, butterfly with a sort of woman in the middle and the stem. And I just looked at it and it was just, it was just a dress to me. It was all there. Um, and I created a bridal dress called Papillon, um, which for us was such a sort of big seller. But sometimes you actually find a piece of jewelry that you almost just sort of feel it's a dress. So it's a dress, yeah, right? It's right. there, it's just ready for you. <laughs> but, Isn't that um, interesting? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I also, um, again, in the book, I talk about how sometimes I can be somewhere very boring, like a bus stop somewhere, mm -hmm. and I'm bored because mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. sort of don't like standing, queuing for things. And I try and look around and find inspiration. And I think once you get into a habit of that, you can find inspiration anywhere, really. So I, I quite enjoy that process as well, sort of finding inspiration from what other what otherwise seems like a very sort of boring kind of place. Right, right. I just think it's interesting because you think traditionally, you think, oh, I'm just going to get inspiration from clothing, but it can be from anything. So I, I, it's and great to And also looking at the way other people, you know, just watching people as well and how they put things together. Um, so, yeah, yeah. You talk about in the book about how fashion gives you courage. <laughs> and um, how did it give you courage? Well, I think at that point I was talking about being perhaps sort of, you know, being at sort of St. Martin's and, you know, feeling quite intimidated by it all, really, you know. So I think, you know, I think sometimes what you, um, I mean, that's probably when I went into the black, you know. It uh. was kind of, black's an amazing colour for, you know, young people as well because it's a kind of look at me, don't look at me colour, really. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I think, um, I think by choosing to wear certain things, we can give ourselves confidence. And I think with my designs, that's what I'm always trying to achieve, is to design something that gives someone 
you know, a lot of confidence so they feel really good about themselves and also so they can completely forget about what they're wearing and enjoy, you know, the event that they're mm. at or getting married. I'd never want them to feel sort of too conscious of it. So I think for me, you know, fashion is very much about uh, confidence. I mean, I, I think we all know that if we've got, a, you know, a favorite jacket, you put it on, you feel like you're ready for anything. Um, and sometimes you want to be looked at, so you put a bit of color or... So I think we can play with fashion more to lift our moods, really. I, I think we can achieve a lot through what we can wear. What is your favorite piece from this collection, your current collection? Um, current collection? I'm, I'm kind of on to the next one. Um, and we've got, <laughs> Something <I've, laughs> we could see on your site or from the runway that are there a few pieces well, that you're like... Well, like I say, there's, there's one dress on there which we've kind of, we've been reinventing every season, which is actually one of the pieces that we did for Dita Fontis. It's a wrap-over gown with an amazing kind of feather, um, feather sleeves that she wears during one of her sort of pieces called Lazy, um, where she's just lazing around in this sort of Jean Harlow-esque uh, wrap-over dress. And uh, for the last sort of four or five years, every season we do it in a new way, and it just sort of sells. So, of course, I love that piece because it sells. But... Um, we, we somehow or other, during the whole lockdown experience, I feel that um, our designs have changed a bit. I think they've become more kind of uh, uh, about escapism. And I think that's mm. what we're seeing. We're seeing people that are buying more kind of exciting pieces than they were before. Uh, I think if they're going to sort of buy into what we do, they want the sort of really, you know, the out there pieces, yeah. But we've, uh, it's a beautiful collection. You mean they want something real, more extravagant, yeah, real, definitely. you know. That's yeah, definitely happening. Yeah. And we're also seeing sort of things with sort of fantastic backs and um, a lot more kind of sleeveless things. So, yeah, kind of more sort of brave, actually, and more kind of just towards um, being a bit more adventurous, I suppose. Wow. It's time to party. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, I think people are excited to get out Absolutely. and go and just be, and you know. enjoy. Yeah. You talk also about trusting your intuition. And um, how do you how do you help navigate like with your success? It's taken off so much. And do you feel like it's because you've trusted your intuition so much in uh, in what you do? Well, I, I'm very lucky. I've worked with my partner and husband for 33 years. And I I feel that um, I think we're very good at kind of listening to each other and sort of helping each other with that intuition thing as well, because I think it's all very well to have a sort of feeling about something, but it's very, um, it's good to be able to sound it out with someone who's sort of also on the same side as you. But I think from a design point of view, you really, you know, that maybe from the business side of, you know, the business side of things, you know, you have to use a lot of intuition, but from the design side, I think you really have to be, as a designer, I think you have to be really aware of what's going on in the world and not just what exhibitions are on, but also what's going on with politics and films and, you know, the whole sort of cultural sort of uh, feeling of the time uh, so that you're kind of in tune with that. I think it's very important. So sometimes the difficult thing is you can't explain you know, your intuition. And I, I, I think you've just got to be allowed to sort of go with it. And that's why I feel very lucky, you know, to work with someone who was also a, you know, a creative person and also the, the business, 
you know, the CEO of the company so that he really appreciates, you know, that sort of trust in, you know, creative intuition. I think for a lot of designers, you know, they sometimes work with sort of uh, business people that want to make a science of it. And there isn't a science to it. It's based on a lot of, like you say, intuition, feeling, and sort of, you know, not really knowing why you're going in a certain direction. It's just what you feel that you want to do. Yeah, and sometimes people get so worried about, will it sell? Is it going to make money? Is yeah, it gonna, that's and, when it all starts going yeah. wrong, I think, actually. Yeah, because you've got to go with the intuition and the, yeah. and the feeling and the vibe and, yeah, yeah. Because generally, you know, I, I think, you know, people that work in sales and our customers, you know, they're, they're basing, um, you, you've got to give them something new. You, you can't, just because they bought it before doesn't mean they want it again, you know. So you have to sort of get all that information about the last season's order book and what people liked. But then you have to think, okay, well, that was then. What can we do this season and, and move it on? And I think that's the challenge, actually, especially when you see a lot of designers that maybe, you know, things are selling so well. But during the course of that, you, you have to think about what you're going to do next because, you know, the, the, the challenge of fashion is that it changes all the time. And, you know, you have to be brave enough right. to move on. And you're working on which collection now, currently? Uh, well, we've just finished a, a bridal collection. Um, so we're doing sort of small drops of bridal dresses now throughout the year. Um, and we're just about to be, to sort of uh, start on our sort of spring-summer 22. Oh, spring-summer 22. Right, right, right. We're done with fall. Yeah, yeah that's old. <laughs> okay, I have just two more questions and I will let you go. You've been so kind to answer all my questions. But one thing that I wanted to ask, I've always been curious from designers about when you get reviewed, how do you take that? Like, I was just watching a movie about Halston and how he would be like, oh, just read me the reviews. Okay, stop. You know, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And when they love you or when they have some, you know, things, how do you take that? How does that uh, sit with you? Do you let it kind of soak in or or just let it roll off? Yeah, it, it, it's hard. But I have to say that I think you have to welcome um, we're, obviously, when you say reviews, we're talking about bad ones. Well, yeah. bad and good. I mean, bad uh, and good. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, how do you? Well, good, good, good's, good's lovely, great. Um, and and bad can be great because I think as long as you can look at the, uh, if you look at criticisms and you can think, make up your own mind which ones are, you know, because they're not always mm -hmm. right. You you know that's fair enough. So look at what's you know good about them and. I think it does always. We're, you know, creative, sensible, sensitive people, so it takes a few yeah. days. But I have to say, um, I could write a list of people that I would like to go back to and say, thank you so much for criticizing me because that really moved me on. Really? You know, and I, I think you, yeah, I think you've got to say thank you for saying that because nowadays people quite often are not brave enough to say what they think or to, to give you, you know, um, uh, to give you sort of, that help really. Um, I remember there was one season uh, where the one thing in the UK was that um, I think people viewed you if you did an evening wear collection that it wasn't enough. They wanted you to do the right. day wear, etc. So when I came to um, show in New York, there was actually a British journalist who had come, and she wrote sort of saying, "Oh, you know, really lovely evening dresses, but where's the knitwear? Where's the trousers? Where's the wool?" So. Um, I didn't really agree. I think it's okay for me to be niche. Um, but the next season I did some amazing little kind of uh, 
knitwear pieces. Uh, one of them, actually, Kate Hudson wore in the end. It was a, a beautiful kind of uh, dress, and it was all made with kind of beaded cable oh. knit. So we'd kind of uh, taken a kind of uh, idea of knitwear and done it mm. with beadwork. So again, you know, you just sort of, you know, I, I think, uh, I mean, that was obviously a little bit obtuse with her uh, criticism, but I think you should always listen and see if there's anything in that person that's saying is right and could it help you move forward. Yeah. I think it's important. I don't think you can ignore it. I mean, when you show a collection, you're asking people right. to tell you what they they like. You're putting yourself out there. It's your job to listen right. to them. And so you take that in and decide, okay, I'm going to use that or maybe I'll I'll lose it. Yeah, after I've after I've cried my eyes <laughs> out for a couple of days. I mean, because we are creative people, so we want everybody to love it, right? I mean, that's just the... Yeah. We want everyone we to do. love it. We yeah. do, yeah. And thank God, I mean, people have loved your things for over 30 years. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> so any critiques are, you know... That's that comes with the comes with the business, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my last last question is: I always like to give um, some people some things to think about. But what is one thing that you haven't told anybody that you think <laughs> you don't have to say everything? One thing you haven't told anybody that you think would help somebody else. You think it would really, maybe it would lift them up, maybe it would help them in some way. Oh, that's quite a tricky question. I mean, I'm not trying to make Um, it, you don't have to tell me anything crazy, but I I mean, if you want to share whatever you want to share, I just, you know, it's always kind of fun and inspirational too, you know. Well, my mum said to me that whenever you feel down and you don't feel great, go and buy yourself a lipstick. (laughs) And... It was a lovely thing. And I thought at the time, you know, oh, you know, she just doesn't understand me and my moods. But actually, um, it's a very good thing because, first of all, you're thinking about yourself. Mm. No one else. You're just thinking about buying yourself something. Um, It's not a very expensive purchase. So you're not going to feel guilty about it or you're going to think that you've been too extravagant. And you put a smile on your face with it. It's a lipstick. So I use that quite a lot. I've got a lot of lipsticks. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my advice to someone, like you know, that. That if you're not feeling good. And like I say, I'm a, I'm a real believer that, you know, you can sort of, um, you know, you can sort of move your life along by sort of experimenting with what you wear and how you do things yeah. with your appearance. I love that. That's awesome, Jenny. That's great. What a great piece of advice. <laughs> well, Jenny, you have been fabulous. I want everybody to check out How to Make a Dress. You can find it at uh, JennyPackham.com. You can also find it on Amazon. It's been so great. Thank you so much, Jenny, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Cat's Walk. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to executive producer Gerardo Orlando, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Dave Douglas. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, 
toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, GenXGrownUp.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) I know, right?